It's good to see you, Bridge family, under these uh, transitional circumstances. Um, Luke mentioned we plan to be at the park at um, this morning for a 10 a.m. service. At 6 a.m. this morning, we were um, headed for 40% chance of rain around 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock, and 11 o'clock with wind gusts at 14 to 17 miles an hour. And so we decided we should go uh, and record our service. And then we uh, have made a decision to attempt for the very first time to stream part of this service. And so um, I appreciate how flexible our team is to give this a try. So we are just adapting on the fly as we go. I recently read an article in National Geographic about living root bridges in northeast India. Although there are a handful of living bridges in other parts of the world, uh, this particular one focuses on the Kasi tribe in northeast India. The Kasi live in a mountainous plateau uh, region, which is one of the wettest places on the face of the earth, and they get uh, up to 464 inches of rainfall a year. And during the monsoon season, their small and gentle streams become raging rivers, as you can imagine, making human, tra uh, human travel very difficult, sometimes impossible. The Cassie people are creative and developed ways uh, to, to, to navigate uh, their situation. They have, they have come up with ways to, to build bridges over these streams without using man-made materials. Um, they use uh, roots, tubular roots, from specific trees in their uh, native land, and uh, they have to cultivate them and manicure them and train them to become bridges. Um, first, they, they begin to work on a tree root that is very tubular and grows very long. And um, when it's long enough, they extend it across the stream. And they have different ways of doing that. And they can do this... Um, for 15 to 250 feet. Um, these take 15 to 30 years to make, and it requires work of the people, and they have to pass this skill on to family men members. These root bridges can last for hundreds of years as long as the roots are healthy. Some bridges will hold up to 35 people at once. And uh, I think we have a picture of one of those. So here is a living root bridge. And after the, some of those are made, they can put dirt on the surface and they can actually add rocks. And here's, a, here's another classic, a second one. This is a double br bridge, a double-decker um, living root bridge. These are really quite amazing. But you know what's really significant is we have a living 
bridge that connects us um, in our relationship with God. And his name is Jesus. And he laid down his life to be our bridge. Now we are connected to the God of the universe. Jesus made it possible. Jesus made our way to God accessible. And because of because of this new access, we have a living bridge, and it changes everything. It changes our relationship with God. We were once enemies, and now we are friends of God. Now we are family members. Now we are children of God. Now we are sons and daughters of God. Now we can approach God in prayer. Uh, it's a privilege and a responsibility we have because Jesus is our living bridge. Today we are called to prayer. And the passage we're going to look at to bring us there is 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 6. And so I'm going to read that passage for us, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 6. And here we see Jesus as the living bridge. We begin in verse 1. Uh, the Apostle Paul writes these words to Timothy. He says, I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. This has now been witnessed to at the proper time. And that's our passage for uh, today. And we see, first of all, the call. The call is in verses 1 and 2. Uh, Jesus is our living bridge, and that makes prayer possible. Uh, that's why we pray in Jesus' name. And think in terms of Jesus, not only is the living bridge, he is also the head of the church. And what does he ask us to pray for? And that's the what we see in verse 1. The, uh, the Apostle Paul begins, I urge then, first of all. And so Paul speaks with urgency. This prayer uh, need is urgent. He says, I, I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people. And we see uh, four aspects of prayer here that are mentioned. And three of them are almost synonymous. And they, these are ingredients of prayers. And so uh, Paul gives us a list here. He starts with petitions or requests. Um, and this refers to specific needs when we come to God in prayer. It's not about our wants, but it's about specific needs, the needs of people. Um, we often know way more about what we want than what is needed. And so, first of all, petitions. And then next he mentions prayers. And this is a general word for prayer. And it implies the humble servant uh, coming before his master. It implies a worshipful 
attitude, a humble prayer that acknowledges the lordship of Christ. The third word that Paul uses for intercession uh, is another word for uh, intercession is that is another word for prayer, and it focuses on the ongoing relationship with God. It focuses on conversation with God. Uh, the idea is it's it's ongoing. It's not just uh, once in a while. It it focuses on a more intimate relationship with God. Um, God is more than just our spare tire. You know, sometimes uh, I see people go kind of a long time without trying to connect with God, and then they get into a crisis, and, and they want God to bail them out. And that's kind of using God as their spare tire. When they can't control things, they turn to God. But intercession is a, a closer relationship with God where it's ongoing throughout the day. And the fourth year word that the Apostle Paul uses is thanksgiving. This is the attitude of gratitude. It's focusing on what God has done specifically in the past, what He's doing right now, and what He will do. Uh, Recognizing God's provision and His faithfulness. Thanksgiving. Good question is, are, are we a thankful people? God wants His people to be thankful for who He is and what He's done and what He is doing. So who do we pray for? And This is where it's going to get a little tricky, and this is where it gets a little more personal. The who in verses 1 and 2. Going back to verse 1, I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people. And then he says, for kings and all those in authority. So, First of all, we're, we're supposed to pray for everyone. Now, if we, tried to, if we had the name of every human being on earth, it would take a whole long time to cover that prayer list. But the idea is we don't want to leave anyone out. It's for all people, not just my favorite people. Um, in the first century, there would have been a distinction between the Jew and the Gentile. There would have been uh, racial tension Uh, between those uh, peoples. And Paul wants us, God wants us to pray for everyone, uh, for people of color and people of lighter skin, for rich people and for poor people, for highly skilled people and not so skilled people, for attractive people and not so attractive people, for the super smart and the not so smart. Um, Who do we pray for? God wants us to pray for all kinds of people and think about the people that are in your world right now. The second uh, request here is for kings. We're also to pray for kings or country leaders. Um, The Roman Empire was the most powerful empire in the world in its day. It's one of the most powerful of history ever. And Uh, the emperor of the day was named Nero. And he was one of the most um, unliked and immoral leaders of history. And God had him ruling over the Christian world 
uh, in the first century. And God was asking prayer that his people would pray for the emperor Nero. Um, And for us, that includes today presidents and prime ministers and national leaders of all kinds. Um, And and it, it includes our president, that we should be praying for our president. And then he, he, he throws in this phrase, and all those in authority. And for us, this includes governors and senators and representatives and assemblymen and law enforcement of all kinds and military leaders, all those in authority. God wants his people to pray. The bottom line is, God has called you and me to pray for our government officials. He wants us to pray about specific needs. He wants us to pray often. He wants us to pray humbly, even for people we may not like or we may not appreciate or we may not agree with. Why? Well, God has his reasons. And we see some of those reasons in verses 2 through 6. First of all, One of God's reasons is so that we can live peaceful and quiet lives. God wants uh, his people to live peaceful and quiet lives. God uses government for his purposes. It may be hard for us to see or understand God is using our government over us for his purposes right now. God desires peace in our land, and we don't always experience that. God desires peace so he can accomplish his will through his people. So that when government is doing their job, God's people are free to do his will. Now, this is not about our comfort and happiness. It's about God's people reflecting Christ. Also in verse 2, he says that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. God cares about our attitudes in the time of our COVID captivity. He cares about our attitudes in this time of racial tension and social uh, injustice. God cares about our words and our attitudes in this time of political turmoil in our country. He wants us to live peacefully. He wants us to be godly. He wants us to live holy lives. That means lives that are set apart to Him where He is the number one priority. Not set apart to political hobby horses. If we wanted to see change in our world, we should by all means pursue it. Um, If we want social justice, we should pursue it. But may it be peaceful. May it show a godly attitude and reflect Christ-like character. Why? Because it's good and it pleases God. Verse 3, this is what God wants for you and for me. 
He says in verse 3, this is good and pleases God our Savior. God is in the saving business. That's who He is. So question for us is, do you and I want to please God? If we do, we should pray for our nation and for all kinds of people in our nation. People who are socially and racially diverse. We should pray for our president. We should pray for our governor. We should pray for Congress. We should pray for our police. We should thank God for them. With thanksgiving, we should be specific. And this is going to have a huge impact on our our own attitudes. I like the quote of Leonard Ravenhill. He said, we never pray for folks, or we never pray for people we gossip about. We never gossip about the people for whom we pray. I think God already knew that. So why should we pray? Third reason, verse 4, because God desires that all people be saved. God has a bigger agenda than you and I have. Verse 4, he wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of, our, of the truth. Praying for our government officials pleases God our Savior. That's who he is, and that's what he does. He is our Savior. And on God's priority list is the salvation of people, all kinds of people, socially diverse, racially diverse people. And God wants us to focus on living peaceful and godly lives for the sake of the gospel. Uh, God is the one who has established government. And last week we looked at that Romans 13 passage. God has established government uh, to do good for society. And governments don't always do well at that. Uh, Government, the government officials, are servants of God and they are responsible to Him, accountable to Him. We are to pray for our government officials for the sake of the gospel. I wonder if some of the issues in our country would be different if the church in America prayed more for our government as God has commanded us to do. When you think about it right now, we are free in this country to proclaim the gospel of Christ and to live for Him. Um, We are free to proclaim the gospel because we live in a country, because our government officials allow it. Somewhere along the way in history, God's people have prayed for the government. Um, I believe a lot of what we experience and what we have experienced in this country is because along the way there have been people. One of the big questions for today is, are we a people who are praying for our government and for the future and for the days ahead. Um, So why do we pray for our government today? Verses 5 and 6. Because we have the gospel message that offers people the remedy for sin. God wants us to pray for our government so that we can be about accomplishing His will. We have the message It's been entrusted to us as a gift. 
We call it the gospel. We have the information that the world needs. Um, but sometimes our behavior as Christ followers actually repels people from Christ. Sometimes people are not interested in Christ because they have not seen Christ on display in our attitudes and in our actions. God wants all people to be saved. That is His heart. He is a saving God. That's His priority. Now look at verse 5. For there is one God and mediator between God and mankind, the man, Christ Jesus. In the first century, to say that there is one God was kind of revolutionary. In the Roman Empire and in the Greek world, uh, they were very polytheistic, and so they were used to using, having gods and having gods in their own image and gods that were useful to them and very pragmatic and, and very helpful to them. And they were also very superstitious. To say there was one God was extremely unique. And the Jewish people believed in one true and living God. And Christians lit, believed in one true and living God. Um, but to say that there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, that is way more unique. And it separates Christianity from uh, the Jewish faith, from Judaism. One mediator between God and man, a go-between, a living bridge. His name is Jesus. He, he is fully God and fully man. And... Um, that's what made his role so unique that he would be able to accomplish uh, God's will for him. Uh, verse 6, uh, if we describe Jesus from verse 5, the mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. Jesus gave his life as a ransom. His life was a payment to God for the sin penalty. His life was an exchange for the sin penalty. And God the Father then looked at the sin penalty and it was paid in full. God's wrath against the sin penalty was paid in full. For all people, for all races, for all ethnic groups, for all people no matter what their economic background. We have a message. We understand, Romans 3.23, that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, that all of us are sinners, that all people are sinners. We understand that there are consequences for sin, Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. This is an eternal death. It's not just a physical death. It's total separation from God for an eternity. Jesus called it hell. We understand that. We know that God has made a provision for God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son. We know that. Um, we know Romans 5.8, but God demonstrated His own love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ 
died for us. I deserve the death because of my sin. Jesus paid for it 2,000 years ago. My sin penalty is paid for, and your sin penalty is paid for, and we know that. And that God has only one requirement uh, for salvation. One requirement to have access to God. One requirement as the way to, to God. And that's what John 3.16 is about. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. The end of verse 6, the Apostle Paul writes, this, this has now been witnessed at the proper time. It was God's timing in the first century in the Roman in the Roman Empire for God to bring forth His Son, Jesus, who would live a sinless life and He would be arrested and um, He would be crucified and He would die on a cross. But death wasn't the end for Jesus. Uh, God raised Him from the dead and He is alive. And he's alive right now at the right hand of God. He is a living Savior. He is a living bridge. It was God's timing to interrupt the Apostle Paul's life. He was called Saul of Tarsus, and he was an enemy of the church. And God interrupted his life and turned his life around, and he became a follower of Christ, a radical follower of Christ. And that was God's timing. It was God's plan and God's timing that interrupted my life in 1974 when I thought I was an atheist. And then God moved into my life and challenged me with the gospel and I placed my faith in Christ and I didn't expect my life to change. But it did. It was God's planning and God's time uh, for this gospel message to bear fruit in my life. Um, so one of the questions uh, for, for us is, how is God going to use you with this message? How is God going to use you in sharing this message because we have a mission. We are to help people to connect with God and develop them into fully devoted followers of Christ. That's why we're here. That's why God has raised up uh, His church. God didn't place us here to pursue the American dream. He didn't place us here for us to have the pursuit of our happiness. God didn't put us here so we could be discontent. He put us here on a mission to help people connect with God. So, let's not forget why we're here. Yes, we should pursue social justice. Yes, we must survive COVID, and we will. Uh, Yes, we must support our political system for it to do good for people. 
But the greater purpose is God's purpose. Our job is to follow Christ first. God has placed government authority over us. God has a purpose for government. And the government's job is not to make us happy. Our job as Christ followers is to represent Christ to our world, and our job is to pray for our leaders. As we represent Christ and as we connect with people, we can point them to the living bridge, Jesus Christ. What if I could make you a promise? And what if I could offer you the house of your dreams? The architecture was just right. The space was just right. It was furnished exactly the way you wanted it. It was perfect. And I said, I'm going to give it to you on one condition. And one condition only. This is the only way you get the house. And here it is. You have to accept this key. You have to accept this key. It's the only access. And if you do, you can have the house. That's what God has done for us in sending his son, Jesus. We have the key. It's the key to heaven. It's a key that connects us from this world to another world. That's why we are here. As Christ followers, we, we live by faith. We trust God and we trust his plans. I've always appreciated the words of Ravi Zacharias when he wrote this. He said, faith is the confidence in the person of Jesus Christ and in his power, so that even when his power does not serve my end, my confidence in him remains because of who he is. He is the living bridge, and he is our living bridge, and he is our access to heaven, and we are here on his mission. Let us pray together. Gracious God, I just acknowledge uh, before you that you have called us to be your people and to reflect the character of Jesus Christ, and we don't always do that well. I thank you for the privileges we have living in America, the freedoms that we have, the financial blessing that we have that other nations do not have. I thank you for our leaders, God. I confess that I don't always appreciate what they do or what they say, but you have called us to pray. Uh, may we be people who turn to you and pray and pray for our president and our vice president and our congressman. God, may... May they be wise. May they represent you. May they seek the good of this nation. May we not always presume that we know what it is. May we be careful with our attitudes and our speech, with the, with the upcoming elections. Um, we pray, God, for um, our governor, we pray for our police, Lord. We thank you for them. We thank you that we live in a safe country, that we have freedom to travel and freedom of speech and freedom to proclaim the gospel. May you keep our police safe. May they um, carry out um, doing good to, to people in this country and in our city.
Um, Lord, may you have the freedom to accomplish your will. May we as your church stay on point with mission and um, submitting our own agendas to your agenda. For Jesus' sake, I pray. Amen.